And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, 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 the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now uh, what we want to do is build back better together. The reputation of the Scottish government tainted. The standing of this parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. Um, and it's time to welcome back someone who's been away for what feels like a minor eternity. Uh, Gina, welcome back. How was your holiday? Did you enjoy your time away? I absolutely did. Thank you very much, Connor. I had a great fortnight off. The weather was spectacular. My garden was looking spectacular. So I've done nothing for a fortnight and um, have missed all the news. So I can't wait for this episode of The Sea Mate and you can uh, catch me right up with everything that's been happening. I can hear the listeners fuming in the background at the idea of, you know, two weeks off in the beautiful weather that Scotland's had. It's um, unheard of. <laughs> unheard of. It was absolutely tremendous. Um, uh, as always as well, we've got Alex Brown, our Westminster correspondent. Alex, how are you? I'm very well. Um, I have not been enjoying the weather. I've been working with you, uh, which is a blow already. I know. Um, <laughs> but we just, you know, keep calm and carry on. I've, avoid the sunburn. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's there's absolutely no bitterness at all from, from our part, I don't think, Alex, about the fact that Gina was outside in the beautiful sunshine. In two weeks of sun that I don't think is, you know is particularly normal for Scotland at any time of the year, never mind the middle of July. Never um, likely to be replicated again. No. Oh, so, much <laughs> like, so now you're bragging about being, witnessing history and being able to enjoy it. That's absolutely, even worse. Absolutely. A once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> once opportunity. Uh, 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 and I'd also just like to point out that despite having dyed my hair red, it doesn't affect sunburn at all. So <laughs> did not get burned at all. It was... Been, it's just been great. Been you'll have, great, all, guys. You'll, you'll have, have all of the natural redheads in your inbox, in your email inbox tomorrow morning, Gina. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Get a factor fifty on. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's been a relatively quiet couple of weeks while Gina's been away. Um, those of us who've been listening to Steamy will obviously know that one of the big pieces of news has been Freedom Day. We've obviously had Willie Rennie step down as a Scottish Liberal Democrat leader. We've had John Freedom Day. His Freedom Day, indeed. Photographer's Freedom Day. We've got. I mean, it's it's a damn shame. Um, Although I was very very happy for him to admit that his favourite photo shoot that he ever did as leader um, was the one with the pigs copulating in the background um, at Gorgie City Farm in 2016, which is a a testament to the man himself, I think. Um, but we also had um, John Swinney punting fake news into the Twitter sphere and taking three and a half days to to take it down, um, amongst other things. And obviously, uh, as well, we've got 
a two-year anniversary of the Prime Minister being the Prime Minister. So it's two years since Boris Johnson has become, or how has been, the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, and it's been an eventful couple of years. Lots of pieces doing the rounds about um, how it's gone. Obviously, no one in, in, expected a pandemic um, in the middle of it. But Alex, you've been there throughout. Um, what's your what's your take? What's your big hot take on Boris's two years? Well, I, I should I should, minor corrections. Actually, two years as leader, not as uh, not as prime as prime minister. Um, but I would say my take is that he says really stupid things. But if he didn't, you'd actually see a government that does have a, a, a better focus on Scotland than the previous administrations. You know, things such as the Internal Market Bill, which I know that the SNP will discuss as uh, dismiss as a power grab, but that will allow the UK government to invest directly in Scotland. You know, if and if, you know, they don't necessarily work so well with the Scottish government, not that that's ever been a problem, uh, they will be able to bypass them and go to local administrations and just, you know, pay for better roads and stuff, which is a direct investment. And in a few years' time, Tory MPs think, sure, what Boris says now might be a problem. But people will go, you know what, I can see real evidence now of their involvement. We've got the civil servants um, moving to Glasgow. You've got the new building in Edinburgh, which appears to be overlooking the Scottish government one uh, in just a real toxic element of bullying um, and symbolism. So, yeah, I don't think it's been as bad as people think. I think the the delivery and the message and the message are quite different. Because I mean, in pure Brexit has been has <laughs> been pretty terrible. Uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol is so good that they're renegotiating it, and he's completely sold Scottish fishermen uh, down the river, um, if, if it excuses the pun. But you know, there there are reasons to be cheerful, and despite all of these things, I think most notably there has been no uh, Indy Ref two. There is no sign of any Indy Ref two happening uh, in the immediate future. And there was no SNP majority. You know, they've had the perfect storm of Brexit and Boris, and the SNP didn't get a majority. So I think he's probably pretty chuffed. It's interesting you say that, Alex, because I know that um, <clears throat> that's a point of Ruth Davidson. Now, Baroness of London Links, if I'm led to believe that's her new title, uh, made about Douglas Ross's uh, election campaign. Um you know, in, in May, May, my goodness, that feels like a lifetime ago already, doesn't it? Um, for the Scottish Parliament elections. And she said, you know, yes, when she was leader, they performed very well. They became the second placed uh, party in Holyrood, uh, but they didn't have Boris as leader to contend with. Uh, or, or the or the fallout of Brexit and, you know, Douglas Ross had both of those and still managed to uh, retain his party's position in Holyrood and, in fact, increase uh, the number of votes that they got. So um, it has been interesting. I think there's a real uh, feeling, isn't there, that every time Boris Johnson opens his mouth, uh, particularly around Scottish issues, he puts both feet, you know, right in it. And yet at the same time, the impact on the Scottish Tories hasn't actually, you know, been huge in any sense. And they're still sitting pretty in second place. Well, this is one of the things I think I got wrong. And I thought he needed to visit Scotland more and try and win over Scottish voters because he's not going to do that, staying in England and just, you know, putting out gaff after gaff, you know. 
However, you know, keeping him, keeping him in the dark, hiding him from view, uh, and just getting on with one message of, uh, you know, no indie ref two, it, it seems to have worked. There seems to be like a coalition of voters who have managed sports cross stories. They've managed to find that, you know, the unionist vote, um, and it hasn't. You know, even John Curtis said that, you know, Brexit is no longer a driving support for independence, and it's not going up. There's no it's, it, support isn't going up, and. You know, the prime minister's behaviour hasn't got any better. You know, the, the polls in the UK have he's taken a dip at last uh, for, you know, trying to get out of self-isolating in a classic one rule for them, one rule for the rest of us. You know, the most avoidable uh, mistake uh, in, in recent memory. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't seem to have impacted Scotland. And every, and every week we hear Ian Blackford say, you know, this Tory cabal, these charlatans, these liars... Um, and then they get kicked out, you know, and it doesn't seem to matter. So, yeah, I guess there's um, you could be incredibly cynical about that, couldn't you, and say, well, it's what the public expects of politicians, maybe in general, or conservative politicians in particular, that they're that they're uh, going to use their democracy to give their pals contracts. You know that there's going to be uh, bending of the rules, if not complete breaking of them at times and so therefore you know the public is now so used to these things that it's not sticking in the way that that maybe it maybe it did and you do wonder what would have to happen to really make a breakthrough there and at the same time you know you've got a, a leader of the opposition Keir Starmer who also doesn't really seem to be landing many blows so there's a there's a feeling that every time Ian Blackford stands up and says what he says at PMQs that well he, he would say that wouldn't he <laughs> and you get the same responses from Johnson every week and you think yeah that's how of course he's going to respond in that fashion and it just all feels a bit same old same old and um and it, you do begin to wonder what would need to change for the SNP to um, to see that support rise again for independence. So I, I actually think, ironically, Johnson's behaviour helps the Scottish Tories in a way that, you know, sounds a bit perverse, but when you put the, when you kind of consider the independence debate on a wider spectrum, there's been a clear kind of move away from the kind of like civil debate of 2014, if you like, obviously many politicians believe it was, you know, pretty hideous if you're on the unionist side um but i think there's 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 a clearer divide now and a wider chasm between those who maybe vote smp and, and are pro-independence and those who vote tory and are pro-unionist so i actually think i would argue that boris johnson saying devolution is a disaster it might irritate the 20 30 percent of smp voters who'd be voting smp anyway and are the, the core kind of in pro-independence vote. But it's actually making the people who would vote for the Scottish Tories happier because they're seeing a prime minister who is taking on the, you know, delusions of Scotland, essentially, um, is what, you know, you see this a lot on Twitter, where people who, in, people who are pro-union actively enjoy Boris Johnson, you know, attacking Holyrood, attacking the SNP, attacking, you know, and making these gaffes against, you know, where he seems to be undermining devolution and and thereby the union. And the only people this really seems to hurt are Scottish Labour, who, who are the architects of the union, because those th there's a very small number of people who are in the middle middle of this, you know, yawning chasm of 
of, of, of nationalisms. I think it was Willie Rennie last week on the Steam, you know, called it two different types, two twin nationalisms, you know, battling against each other. And there's no, there's no one in the middle kind of speaking for the centre ground. And I think every time Boris Johnson says something stupid or stupid in inverted commas about the union, it actually shores up the Tory support, the core Tory vote. It's why you had you saw Douglas Ross and and Co go into the Holyrood election, banging the drum about the fact that you know a vote for us will stop the will stop independence and stop a referendum. That sort of politics seems to work and seems to galvanise. Uh, you know, 30% of of the pro-union vote in Scotland. And that's why I don't think Johnson really hurts the union as much as maybe we thought he might, because he just just emboldens that side of the Conservative Party and that side of the unionists. Um, And it's really for Scottish Labour to create a different narrative um, in order to challenge that kind of, you know, undermining nature of devolution at Mm. the minute. That seems to be the Tory, Tory approach. I think as well, though, um, I, I, I think you're right in some respects here, Connor. And I think um, a lot of what Boris Johnson does is not necessarily a gaffe, but can be quite calculated, you know. And I think the thing that most um, rankles with me about some of his attitude towards Scotland and some of that kind of Twitter response that, that he gets from support is more about putting the Sturgeon in her place. You know, it's more that kind of putting the putting the woman down in a way and I, and I and there's a bit of underlying misogyny around that which really um I find quite disturbing but I think you're right I think um you know Boris Johnson doesn't really need to understand Scotland in the way that maybe we thought that he had to when he became leader and you know and like Alex says being up here isn't really going to help, you know, visits to Scotland aren't really going to help. Um, so yeah, stay down there, you know, have a, have a shouting match with Ian Blackford every, every week uh, and say your piece and yeah, people will continue to be happy or certainly Tory voters will continue to be happy. And of course, what you also mentioned there is just, um, the same thing that's happened since 2014 and just that, you know, the two sides have become more and more entrenched and this idea of, of, Labour or the Lib Dems being in the middle and trying to, you know, be some kind of bridge between those two sides just seems ever more remote. Um, and I do, and it's 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 quite depressing from you know a political viewpoint that we don't seem to be able to get past the constitutional question uh, in Scotland. I mean, there's so many other issues that, that really need to be tackled. I think I think the 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 way to put it is perhaps that Boris Johnson has had about as much an impact in support for independence as Ian Blackford has. You know, those those, those um, exchanges at the dispatch box every every week has made no impact whatsoever on the on the cause of independence either way. Because as you say, <laughs> the two sides are so entrenched, there's no there's no way to dent the other side by repeating what has been said at this point, you know, for probably since 2011 and 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 the first you know salmon um majority administration i um, i think that's the real challenge going forward or at least a potential challenge for johnson in 3 or 4 years say if he's still around then which is when or if the snp get around to actually making a coherent case for independence and not just a shouty one whether or not 
the, the Conservative Party can actively fight that in a nuanced way, or if they even choose to. And I think that will be a really interesting, uh, you know, aspect. But that relies on the SNP for making the case for independence. Um, and assuming that we're not going to have a, another independence referendum in completely bad faith where no one's told what they're voting for on either side, which frankly is probably the most likely outcome. I do think if we are looking at his legacy in two years, and I mean, I'm trying to skirt around independence because it's something that we have to talk about all the time. But I don't think we can look at the prime minister without talking about divergence in coronavirus, right? You know, and I know that Gina said about how he is kind of attacks perhaps on the first minister. But I would, th- I would say that Nicola Sturgeon is a lot more critical of Boris Johnson. He never really responds to it. He would just dismiss it. She is deeply critical of the UK government's conduct all the time. And as she says, you know, the conferences aren't supposed to be political. But we'll read it and she'll say, I'm not going to address this. And then we'll indeed address this and, uh, and have a go. And so much of the, uh, the, the Scottish National Party response is to say, oh, the Prime Minister is doing this, which is endangering people. He's doing this and doing this. But... It is Scotland that was the, you know, the COVID capital of Europe, uh, as it were. It, England's opened up much quicker. And I would say between that, between Freedom Day and the, uh, you know, the, the vaccine task force, etc., it doesn't appear to have damaged him. I don't think the UK government's handling of the pandemic has hurt it in Scotland in the way that I think is so often framed. Scotland has many of its own problems, but the focus is always on the prime minister doing poorly. But I'm not necessarily sure that's the case comparatively. I think he's. I think he's a lot fairer um, to, to, to you know the first minister than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, just just to be clear, I don't think he. Um, I don't think he says anything specific about Nicola Sturgeon ever. But it's more that the undermining of of Holyrood's undermining of the the, the parliament um, or devolution, I should say, and I think that that is then used by you know the the, the Tory support, particularly on social media to have you know for it to become about her rather than about devolution as a as an ideal and and what the parliament should be doing um and i think <clears throat> but what i find fascinating over the whole coronavirus period so far is that it has really you know sharpened the differences between what happens in scotland and what happens um down south in westminster and i think for a lot of uh, people in the media, even Alex, yourself, not included, obviously, um, they've suddenly realised that Scotland is a very different place, and we and it can do things differently. And and, and they've discovered that with Wales as well, you know. So um, it, it has sharpens uh, sharpened people's minds about devolution and what that actually means and what that involves, particularly around health. And uh, while you're right, there are, you know. Nicola Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic, although she has been front and centre in a way that maybe Boris Johnson wasn't for long periods of of last year. Um, you know, the, the stats speak for themselves. So to suggest that either of them have handled it particularly well, I think would be disingenuous. I also think if we are discussed just very briefly, I don't think we can discuss Westminster's perception of Scottish politics and realising it without very briefly mentioning the fact that a very senior editor at a UK newspaper tweeted that Alex Salmond had named his party after Scottish BBC Channel for name recognition. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just know some of our listeners may not necessarily exist on Twitter. So just a, a reminder that they, they tweeted then to lead to that and then I think they got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think go, going back to what you were saying, uh, Gino and Alex about you know the different handling of the pandemics. One of the things that I think has been really interesting is that the the, the two leaders have been pulled up on slightly different things. So I, I think Nicola Sturgeon up here has had far more focus on, I would say. You know, a failure to support business, something that I think Rishi Sunak and and the UK government has been you know roundly praised for. I think that's been a running theme. Um, and then I think care home deaths is actually more of a problem for the Scottish government than it is for the UK government because of the different um, in the difference in scale, essentially, or proportion of of COVID nineteen deaths. But I think what what is um, really fascinating is that. You know, a lot of the things that Nicola Sturgeon claims she has no control over and has convinced the Scottish public during COVID-19 that she has no control over often becomes things that she then puts into place in, you know, three or four months down the line. Um, I, w- I remember really clearly being sat in briefings, for example, um, around, I would say, you know, maybe September time um, of 2020, asking the First Minister why she wasn't closing our borders in Scotland to 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 limit you know in inbound coronavirus you know variants arriving raising the 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 point of New Zealand and you know always having shot back the response of well we're we're different to New Zealand we have different you know requirements the EU travel restrictions and etc are all really critical and things to go by and then three or four months down the line, we have closed borders with England and closed borders internationally, essentially, or, or red list quarantine and that sort of thing. And I think that's that's been Sturgeon's secret, has been framing this pandemic in a very different way to, to the way Johnson has. And I think Johnson has has made the error um, that is, is kind of inherent in him as a politician of claiming victory prior to victory being won and almost being criticised for that hubris rather than the actual outcome, if that makes sense. So Nicola Sturgeon throughout all of this has been deadly cautious in her framing of the of, of the pandemic. It's never been over. It's never been won. We've never even had Freedom Day in Scotland, you know, even considered, even though in two weeks we're going to be essentially in the same place as we are down south, in the sense it's not been framed as freedom day by the press up here as quite as much and certainly not by politicians um and i don't think i think that's how she's been she's managed to frame it in a way that when there are failings it seems like an inevitability of the pandemic rather than an inevitability of her failed leadership which is how i think many people frame boris johnson's approach to the pandemic compared to hers I think she'd also disappoint the thing with the UK government. I'm, I'm not sure it's necessarily the case that she tends to. You know what was yeah. it? We you know we almost got we we almost got COVID zero or, or, or whatever it was. So I think they have made plenty of claims that are absurd uh, to make it seem like they're handling the pandemic really well when when they when they haven't. Um, but I mean, I think you know, I think the two sides are the same coin, really. I, you know, you see. Well, so I think uh, Hamza tweeted the other day that what's well, the label critical of the vaccine rollout, and I think he tweeted something along the lines of, you know, you're criticising the vaccine task force, which is exactly what Boris Johnson says uh, to Keir Starmer every week, and it's the same. Oh, you've got criticism. Well, that's just because you hate our country. That you, why do you yeah. hate our NHS workers? 
it's, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's nationalism, but it's, you know, presented in a more cuddly fashion. Cannot disagree with that statement, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think the worst moments of Boris Johnson's two years have been? Um, there's some, there's some highlights <laughs> along the way. I know, I know. There's some highlights along the way, but if 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 you're if we're if we're re- restricting ourselves to maybe one standout dreadful moment in the last two years of of, of Boris Johnson's leadership of the Tory Party and Premiership, um, what would it be? Because I mean, I'm thinking Hancock's, um, you know, affair in 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 the corridors of Whitehall. You've got Dominic Cummings and the Rose Garden. You've got however many thousand deaths from COVID-19. If you were to pick one, what would it be, Alex? Well, I mean, I feel like this is one of the questions that I wish I'd known in advance because I could have spent hours agonising. I think it's just, it seems silly uh, to kind of go, oh, well, it's a gaffe when his leadership you know, didn't close the borders, lied, said, you know, we're not going to have a lockdown, and then we had a second lockdown, said we'll have a full Christmas, then we don't have a full Christmas. And it's this, like... To flip flop, like oh, I've got to appease these people and ignore the scientists. That's led to you know uh, <laughs> one of the biggest death tolls in Europe. So, I mean, it's hard to look past the whole thing as being just really uh, words we can't use. Miserable. So I, 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 re- I really don't know. I mean, I, like I, I just don't know. I would like to say that the worst thing he's done was actually run for leader of the Conservative Party. <laughs> <laughs> that goes, think, way, that goes legitim- right to the start of the two years. <laughs> well, it's a legitimate point of view. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. But <laughs> when he ran, um, he ran against Rory Stewart, who at the beginning of the pandemic pointed to countries that had gone into lockdown immediately uh, and uh, South Korea, where they had a test and trace system immediately. And that was the first thing they did. And everything he has said has been proved right. And you had Tory MPs going on television uh, saying, oh, you know, he's just bitter and jealous that he lost. Uh, You do think, and of course, when it first kicked off, he was going on television shaking hands. Uh, You know, all you need to do to be the pandemic is uh, sing happy birthday twice while washing your hands. Uh, He is a man who... I mean, he's a man who's never had to deal with consequences of his actions. He's a man who can cause a problem or create something, shall we say, and then walk away and not have to deal with it. Uh, it's and, and that's a testament to everything. But he continues to win. You know, as London mayor, he spent so much money. I think of all the money he spent on you know, the Garden Bridge, which never even happened. Millions and millions and millions of pounds of taxpayers' money for a project that never happened. Um, and it doesn't matter. He said all these horrible comments about you know, uh, letterboxes um, and the Piccadilly smiles, and it doesn't matter. So it, it's, it, with gaffes with the Prime Minister and his behaviour, it, it, there is never really any consequence, right? I mean, in the, when he was running for leader, he, he waved a mackerel on the stage, which was chink wrap, and said, you know, we've got to wrap this up because of the EU, because that's what the, you know, the Express editor had told him, which is just not true. That's a British rule. But it doesn't matter. He can he can he can carry a fish onto stage in his suit, which is a disgusting thing to do anyway. Wave it about in front of people, and say something that is not true, and still smash Jeremy Hunt um, for the leadership. So it's you know it, it's very difficult to think of a single moment that has <laughs> you know has has been his worst. Um, but you know the, the COVID response being slow, the vaccine task force has papered over so much. Gina, what what do you think? I mean. Do, do, 
do you agree that I know you you mentioned that Johnson running in the first place might have been his worst moment, but I mean, the Rose Garden incident last year with Dominic Cummings must be up there. I mean, it, absolutely. It's in fact appointing Dominic Cummings, you know, to the role that he had was such a massive error of judgment that, um, in my opinion, uh, that it was bound to end in something like that, you know, because Cummings is not somebody who thinks the rules are for him. Um, and now, of course, he's, uh, you know, writing his blogs again and just um, calling Boris Johnson out every week. And you think, well, you know, how could you, if it was so bad, <clears throat> what were you, why were you there? Why did you stay that long? Why, you know, you should have been revealing all of this about Johnson's leadership at the time. Um, of course, it wasn't convenient then and it's convenient now. And uh, and in between, you know, so many people have died. And you just think, you know, you just get the impression that Johnson is, is, is a charlatan to, to some extent. You know, he is, like Alex says, never held responsible um, for his actions, always seems to manage to, to duck out of them. And, um, it, and yet, no matter what, nothing seems to stick. And like I said earlier, I don't know what it will take to actually really see um, a, a, an impact on his uh, prime ministership. And I think, but the Cummings Rose Garden moment should have been the moment when he took control, you know, real control and showed that actually Cummings' actions were unacceptable. Everybody was supposed to be in the same boat together and he should have um, done something about that. <clears throat> but there's a bit of kind of cravenness about it that I will actually need this person to, to, to do the things to get his hands dirty because I can't do that. You know, I'm not, he's not actually, I think, strong enough to make those kind of decisions. Um, because he doesn't like dealing with consequences. So it's easier if somebody else is doing it. And that's what Cummings was there for. And, you know, that was the, the key moment, I think, where he could have said, I'm the prime minister, what you've done is wrong. You need to, I need to, I need to sack you. You need to go. And, and it never happened, you know, and you just thought, oh, well, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. You know, this is, is his prime ministership is just going to be like this. It's going to be car crash to car crash to car crash. And, and on he will he will go playing his his own merry furrow and it's um, there's a certain despair I, I, I feel I feel about it in, in many respects and it's not because you know um, I look at the opposition benches and think well you know that other person could be doing a much better job because I'm not entirely sure I mean they could be doing a much better job or seem to be doing a much better job I and mean, we talk about framing earlier with Nicola Sturgeon and Boris Johnson and the, the framing would definitely be different <coughs> if uh, Sir Keir Starmer was in charge but at the same time I have no great confidence that things would be run in, in any kind of a better fashion which is um, yeah which is a, a bit of a desperate situation I think for a lot of people to who are maybe who feel like me to, to be in. Sorry, that my God, I've just had two weeks off and I've come back and I'm so miserable already. Thanks for that, guys. Well, I mean, you know, in the past month they have taken they've taken a dip in the most recent in the most recent polling, but in the past month I've seen uh, the prime minister refuse to back and uh, his own ministers refuse to back the players taking the knee, which is a stance unequivocally against racism um, because they inexplicably and perhaps um, insincerely believe that they're doing it to make some sort of comment about Marx like Harry Kane's Red Das Capital and things. Oh, this is really, you know, this, this impacts me. Um, they have, they tried to get out of the self-isolating 
uh, and they have ha- they've begged the EU to uh, you know there are these two big statements <laughs> one of the Lords one of the Commons about the Northern Ireland Protocol saying oh we need to renegotiate it it's not fair to still that they negotiate themselves some stuff and ready and the EU immediately said no and yet they are still ahead in the polls. Yeah, this is what I mean. So there there is no consequences. Um, And and so for all his faults, for all his gaffes, you know, the vaccine task force goes a long way and he's got a coalition of voters that will continue to support him. And he's really, he has, he has managed to build a new coalition of voters for the Conservative Party. He has modernised the Conservative Party um, to to, uh, reach a new electorate. And that is, that is no small achievement, uh, whatever, whatever you think of him. And I remember speaking to MPs um, when Brexit wasn't getting through, you know, on Theresa May, and they said, you know, we need some time out of government. We can't. The party looks tired. There aren't the MPs don't have any ideas. We need some time out of government to kind of find out who we are, unless we press the Boris button. But I can't see that happening because surely they won't have someone like that as leader. And in Narita's voice, they would absolutely have someone like that as leader. Um, and it, and it has worked because everything he has done has always worked. He gets great people around him or efficient people around him to deliver, you know, broadly on his objectives, um, you know, and there's cut through, whether it's get Brexit done, whether it's level up, which means absolutely nothing. I mean, yesterday he tweeted that, well, someone from his account will have tweeted, uh, you know, young people getting the vaccine, being safe everywhere is a great way to level up so that we can uh, give opportunities to young people. And then I was thinking of the Tory MP on Politics Live the week before who said, well, it kind of doesn't mean anything specifically level up. <laughs> I think that was a, was a great example of that. And it's just it's just slogans to cut through. He has fantastic messaging, even if what he himself says so often is uh, waffly nonsense. So it's a, it's a good good point. Following on from the earlier question about his worst moment, what's his best achievement to date as prime minister? Because there's a, again, there's a few. You know, the vaccine rollout is one. Um, Brexit deal signed at you know the the last second at the turn of the year is two. An absolute landslide victory in the polls in in December 2019. Which which of those or any others do you think I'm is his best moment as Prime Minister slash leader of the Tory party so far? There are very few arguments for, uh, or it could be, you could say, I wouldn't say, obviously, but there you could say there are very few arguments for capitalism in the modern day. But the success of the vaccine task, for, task force and by just spending loads of money and hoping it works uh, was a masterstroke that has enabled this country to get back on its feet again, to unlock faster than most other countries. And the speed of the rollout has been fantastic. It is a huge success, which you know is partly down, well, in no small part down to the NHS. But it was the UK government's approach that delivered that, and that should be celebrated and lauded. But its impact on Scotland is diminished somewhat by him telling the 922 committee, well, you know, that Scotland would have no vaccines if it wasn't for us. Which, you know, is again, it's, 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 it's the perfect example of his, like, fantastic delivery, and then he goes and says something stupid, uh, which is, you know, his premiership, really, in a nutshell. He does deliver things, um, and then it goes wrong. I mean, being Corbyn was obviously amazing. No one, no one necessarily expected that. It's the biggest majority in decades, and it means he can do what he wants now. I mean, cutting foreign aid is appalling. It will lead to the deaths of tens of thousands of children. It will put more young girls in slavery. But, but... 
Uh, it's popular with the British public, and he's got a, such a big majority because he beat Corbyn so comprehensively. They can just do what they can do that now. He has, you know, he has free range with, the, with that majority to do basically whatever he wants. Um, and that is no small feat because, I mean, you know, we've had years and years of deadlock and coalitions. Can I just say that I think his best moment really has been getting married and having a child. And those are nice things to happen and happen to lots of people across the UK. And it's not remotely political because I can't think of a political best thing. <laughs> I think on a personal level, you know, that's that's been a lovely um a lovely moment, obviously, for him and uh, and Carrie. And I just, it, uh, I mean, I really am struggling um, to think of the best thing that he has he has done since he became leader. In fact, since he became prime minister. And you talk about delivery. And aside from the vaccine program, and that's a big aside because that has been a huge success, obviously. Um, and but also, I wonder how much he was actually involved in that. I mean, he certainly, you know, they put the right people in place you know, t- to get the vaccine bought in the first place and then get it rolled out across the NHS. But, um, and he'll take all the plaudits, of course. But uh, aside from that, I don't know what the Tory government has delivered. Furlough, I would say, was a, was another, it's been another huge success. But that's, again, is that Rishi Sunak rather than Boris Johnson? I don't know. I don't know how hands-on and involved in all of these decisions he actually is. My... I- my view of it is that he's very surface and, you know, he'll have been around. He might have been in the room, <laughs> whether or not he's the one calling shots. I don't know. Alex, you I, have a better I, view of that. I think you're being quite unfair. I think <laughs> that if we, you know, denigrate him for other things the UK government does, I think we do have to give him credit. The furlough scheme has been lifesaver. There has been, you know, staggering amounts of business support. Lots of people have been left excluded. But there's been more support than anyone would expected from uh, a right-wing Conservative government with uh, a libertarian chancellor. The universal credit uplift, which admittedly going will drive more people into poverty, but has been a huge, huge boost to millions of families uh, across the UK. These are these are positive things. He did get a Brexit deal. You may not think it's a very good deal, but everyone said there was no deal to be got, and he actually did it. He won a majority, you know, the biggest in decades. He is a force of nature. You might not like his conduct, and you know, and and, and sure, we should congratulate him on having child number. Um, yeah. Well, we don't know because he won't say. Uh, but as a politician, taking away everything he says, he. He, you know, he's he's delivered. His government has done has done things. Everything he says. If you look, if you ignore him as a person, you ignore the things he says. Look, the internal market bill will deliver more Scotland. The union connectivity uh, review will hopefully improve roads across the UK. There are actual palpable things the UK government has done, but it all kind of gets buried behind the pompous buffoonery um, of the man in front of it. But to, you know, there there have been lots of there have been lots of good things which are inarguably have made people's lives better. But I think perhaps we are overly critical of those because we go sure, but it's not quite enough, or sure, but I don't like how you said it. So how how long left do we think Boris has? Because there's been chat <laughs> that he won't last until, uh, or he won't choose in that in in reality to fight the next general election, which is most likely 2024. There's obviously the potential of 
a Scottish independence referendum, which many people say that he won't countenance while prime minister and therefore if there will be one he'll be gone before it happens so he won't be the the prime minister to 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 lead who leads the the uk through the breakup of the union um what's our betting i'll 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 give you a you can you can name a year that's your that's your only that's your only uh parameter so when do you think boris johnson will no longer be prime minister well uh, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I'm quite sure he has, uh, <clears throat> before he became Prime Minister, before he became leader, he wrote two letters to himself <laughs> about how he should approach his premiership and when he should resign. Um, so it depends which one of those he opens and reads. But he, I, I think I think you're right. I don't think he will be around in 2024 if that's when the next election is held. It might come earlier than that, you know, obviously. But he... Um, I was yeah. I'll, I'll say 2023. He'll be gone. Um, he'll see. He'll see us through the the pandemic, and when things start to get a bit hot, when things are back to normal and the economy's tanking and it all becomes uh, incredibly difficult and Brexit really does begin to bite, then I think he might just decide had enough of this. <laughs> like because as we say, you know, he's not a man who likes to take responsibility for his actions. Doesn't like to deal with consequences. So. He might just uh, ship off then and uh, we'll have a, a Conservative uh, leadership election where no doubt we will see uh, Rishi Sunak in the running and who knows, maybe even Matt Hancock will try once again. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what do you I think? I think you're underestimating how ready for Rob the, uh, the nation is. <laughs> um, I think that you're both... Uh, wrong, quite possibly. I know the received wisdom is that he doesn't like being prime minister. He would rather he, he feels poor and he's complained about the money, which is good because he's got donors to you know redo the flat um, or, or whatever he has done. But with this sort of popularity and him being a generational politician, there is no reason to think that we're not looking at a three-term Blair scenario. The uh, and I think even twenty twenty-four, I think we're probably going to have an election before then. They repealed the fixed-term Parliament Act. Uh, and given the commitment for an inquiry, you think you, you know, probably around then, you probably want to have an election before an inquiry. And I mean, that would be that. That's the that's the only real thing that I think could perhaps stop him staying on, in that the public might be exposed to his actual behaviour. Um, but I don't that's think it that's next year, though, isn't it? That yeah, yeah, okay, but yeah. It, it, it depends. How, it depends how that goes. You know, so often inquiries, not going to as, we've seen, though, for years, as we've it? seen yeah. with uh, you know Pretty Patel, an, an independent inquiry quite often doesn't seem to be that independent. But I, I can I can see him going on because you know the the public seems to love him. Uh, his messaging cuts through, and I don't think that would happen as polished as Mister Sunak is. I, I just don't. I just don't see it. I don't see him being the charismatic uh, leader. He's not. He's not as funny. He's not as loose as as, as the prime minister is. Um, in all senses. You, you, do, do you reckon twenty thirty might be the next time we I'm see? Not, a, I don't. I don't want to. I don't, a different well, prime I don't minister. want to say it, and then you know. <laughs> Be responsible. Oh no! I want. Res- I want you to commit to this, Alex. Please. Yeah. Uh, yeah fine. Did- I go on. Sure. Twenty thirty. 
Yeah, predictions are a fool's game at any time. But I mean, this is just this is all just for fun. <laughs> but then, in the, in the same sense, I think Labour will do considerably better the next election than everyone thinks they will. I think Starmer will gain seats, and I think they'll get closer. And I can see Labour winning the not the next not this election, but the next one. So I'm not I'm not good at maths, but not this election, but the next one, he'll be out. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for, for coming on, as always. Um, if any of our listeners, have, if, if you at home, have any thoughts about when Boris Johnson might uh, step down as leader and maybe send us in your best and your worst moments for Boris Johnson premiership, uh, you can send me an email at connor, at C-O-N-O-R dot matchit, M-A-T-C-H-E-T-T at jpress, J-P-R-E-S-S.co.uk. Um, and we might even read some out next time if, if we get some. But thank you very much, both of you, for, for joining us. The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman.